0: Strictly Legal, good. Professional Development's podcast about all things legal. Each episode, we unpack legal issues affecting the landscape with some of the industry's leading thinkers. This week... Part two of our conversation on the impact of AI and machine learning in Canada's legal system. And now, your host, Amy Terhar. In part two of the impact of AI and machine learning in Canada's legal system, we continue our conversation with Jimmy Chan and Aizan Zakhan of Castodia Inc. It sounds like, um, you know, regulators, decision makers including lawyers, um, need to really involve data scientists at more of an early stage and really understand. And, and one of the reasons I'm so happy that you're you're here today to, to, to begin that conversation, right, and, and to help the profession understand, like, the, the real necessity to, en- to, to engage in these conversations really early. And Jimmy, you talked about the directive and automated decision-making earlier. Do you think either one of you, uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think this is a move in the right direction? Is this something that Canada should be, you know, replicating, or do we need a separate think tank? Or how do we, you know, begin to take steps to ensure that, you know, and bias is just, we just have have been talking about bias, but there's other issues, and maybe we'll get to those in in a little bit. But where do we start?
1: Yeah, I I think... I think it's a move in the right direction, right? Uh, but when you think about the directive, what it's trying to do is saying, let's let's control what we control. So the government is saying, hey, here's this directive, and I'm going to test it basically with my own purchasing. So the government is saying, if any third-party vendor, any software developer, any consultant is selling automated decision systems or building automated decision systems for me as a government, then I want you to follow this directive. So I think it's a good way to sort of sandbox to see kinda where this goes in a way that they can control it because the government is purchasing this software, right? And at a high level, if you think about the directive, it's it's a few steps, right? It's first let's assess the impact on these automated decision systems on the people that this is gonna impact, right? And there's different levels of 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 assessments, right? Uh, and so the purpose of the impact assessment is to reduce negative outcomes. So once you've assessed what the impact will be, and they have, I think four levels like level one, two, three, four, and it just means if you're level one, it's very little to no impact on, you know, on rights, on health, on economic interest. Uh, and then there's like moderate, high, very high. So that's the first step. It's like let's assess this, see what the impact is. And then second is it sets out a list of requirements. So if you fall under any one of these levels, these are the requirements that you're going to have to comply with, right? And so some of these requirements include things like peer reviews by professionals in the field. So, something you mentioned, Amy, uh, or providing notice saying, okay, hey, end user of this software, this is how the system is working. This is how it makes some of these decisions. Uh, and here's a log to all the decisions it's made in the past so that you can audit it, right? there's uh, requirements around having explanations for some of these decisions, especially when it negatively impacts someone or it denies them of some benefit or some service, right? Uh, there's, and there's two other key things that are very important, which is testing these systems before they go live on the government side, right? So before you push it on production, uh, you need to make sure that the data is relevant, that the data is accurate, that the data is up-to-date. And then once the systems are live, you have to constantly monitor them Right. Uh, make sure that the outcomes of these automated decision systems are not resulting in unintended outcomes that, that affect people negatively. And so, we generally think it's a step in the right direction. And Canada has that advantage of of doing it. Uh, and it makes sense for Canada to do this. Right. We have the the scientific experts. A lot of the research comes out of here. We have a population that reflects the diversity of the world. So from those aspects, I think it's the right direction. It's something that the government can control. And if this works, then maybe it can be pushed out to, to industry. Now, we also have some thoughts around certain conditions where this would make sense. And that is around, certain, uh, around regulating the data itself. And I think you have some good points
2: on that. Yes, so the, the whole field of artificial intelligence is so new. It's, it's quite different from other fields. So uh, the, the idea with regulations is, hey, this something is coming up. Let me put this little regulations, blocks, so I can control it for a bit, see how it goes. And then after a bit, if everything is fine, I'm gonna let it go. Uh, just like when cars first came. The very fir- f- first cars, uh, when they first rolled out, there was a law that you have to have a person with a sign, vehicle is coming before the car. Oh wow. <laughs> at all times walking <laughs> now imagine if we still had those laws it would really hinder the progress right so they had this laws because they I'm didn't going, know oh man it's right. a machine right. right i'm scared let me put uh, a, a horse's carriage
0: going nuts down the street right.
2: <laughs> right basically yes so that was the way for them to kind of test the waters first and then they're like okay it seems safe so they remove the person same thing's kind of happening now with the self-driving we're like okay it drives a lot better than us, but still a like, person got to be in the car. So just like shadow the, right. T- the system, right? So we still have those uh, regulations in place. However, the field of artificial intelligence is, is a bit different because it has two main features. First is data and second is speed. So uh, we have a workshop, uh, Deep Learning Reinforcement Learning here in Toronto. So if paper, and what we do there, we just go over papers that are in the field of deep learning and reinforcement learning, trying to understand them and replicate them. Now, if paper is older than 12 months, we don't even bother reading it. No way. It's too old. No it's wow. It's irrelevant by now. Wow. So most papers that we read is like, maybe a month or six months old. So uh, this space is moving so fast that if you put a block, even for one year, then you're gonna block so many startups, so much innovation from happening in this country. And now the other thing is, let's say, let's say you put some blocks into collecting the data. You require, okay, whatever you do with data, you gotta have almost like signed contest, uh, signed agreement from every single person whose data you're using. Sounds reasonable. But to build a deep learning model, you usually have to have millions of samples. So by the time you collect this data set, by the time you get all the approvals, a year passed. And someone else, maybe in China, maybe in Russia, maybe in the U.S., they, they surpassed you. And not only they already built uh, the algorithm using data sets, but they are already serving it, and they're collecting new data. So by the time regulations are lifted, the restrictions are lifted, you're so far behind. There's no way you can catch up. So that's what we're saying, the, the Canadian government should be kind of careful with the regulations, please consult the experts in the field and we have plenty of them. We have so many of them in Toronto, like Vector Institute, Montreal, we pioneering the, the AI in many cases. So we have experts here, just consult them, okay how about this, how about that. And uh, uh, we see the need for regulations, but if those regulations are Please, not carefully. Then we are risking losing the, the our edge in this field. Of AI. It's,
0: it's so important, and um, and how it impacts you know companies and how the, how they should prepare for this. I I just love the thought of bringing in expertise to help lawyers and regulators um, in drafting policy around enforcement for some of these important issues. Um, and I don't see a lot of it happening at the present time. I mean, if, if Europe is heavily regulated with regard to um, personally identifiable information and personal data, specifically with GDPR, and um, it's interesting that they're taking this approach to automated decision-making, what are some of the potential trade-offs? Um, you're talking about, you know, bringing in and sharing expertise um, if we don't do that, what are some of the trade-offs? You you've talked a little bit about um you know hampering progress. Um what else? Right.
2: So imagine if you if Canadian government enforces some regulations that you cannot do this in Canada. Now the the whole field of artificial intelligence is digital. You can still be physically present in Canada but start a company anywhere else and do all your work bypassing the regulations. There are no borders on the internet. So, yeah, it's just um, all the, the next Google, the next Facebook is not going to be in Canada again if the are
0: so, so, what are some of the, the solutions? What do we, how do we retain our competitive edge?
2: So first, um, I think we have all the expertise here. So this is great. But we are losing to China, I'll be honest, mainly because they have all the data and how they collect data a centralized system. They can say, okay, no, we are collecting all your data and do what you want. And in many cases, they kind of compromise the the. the uh, how do you say it? the privacy of their citizens. But at the same time, they're going to have the best language recognition system for their citizens. The next best translator is going to be Chinese. The next base recommendation engine is going to be Chinese. And they're going to serve their own citizens the best because they learn everything about them. Whereas in, in Europe, for example, they have all the regulations. we are going to be safe. We're going to be ethical. But they're not going to have AI at the level that US or China will have. So as Canadians, first, we don't really have that much data. We only have 36, 37 million people. 10 times of, uh, uh, the US has 10 times of our population, right? China even even more. So, and the AI, it's all about the, it's all about stats, it's all about the data set. So how do you collect the data set? To keep our competitive advantage, government helps a lot but from what we saw the government by the way the, the neural networks were sponsored by government so Jeffrey hinton he um i think he wanted to he came from uk and then he wanted to do his research on the neural networks and he believed in it but the american companies were like okay i'm going to give you this money but you're going to research whatever i want you to research and he was he didn't like it but canadian government was like Okay, come do your research in Canada, here's the money, do whatever you want. And he spent like 20 years developing neural networks, and now it's like everywhere. So I'd say in many cases, Canadian government sponsored all this revolution of neural networks, deep neural networks specifically. Now, um, I'm not sure what else we can do. The Canadian government with the the sponsorship, with the money kind of helps. Uh, my, my only concern is be careful when you're enforcing any regulations. Please don't <laughs> mess this
0: up. <laughs> and what, what what kind of an ecosystem has spawned? The, like why 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 does Canada have such a competitive edge? What what kind of ecosystem and environment has, you know, allowed that to blossom?
2: So, uh, from my understanding, is the Canadian government just gave money to research whatever you wanna research. So for example, uh, like I just said, uh, Jeffrey Hinton, he researched the neural networks simply because he had the money and freedom to do that. Uh, Another uh, pioneer in deep learning, uh, in reinforcement learning is Rick Sutton from University of Alberta. Uh, AlphaGo, uh, DeepMind, they were based on the neural, uh, on the algorithms that were pioneered by Rick Sutton or thought by Rick Sutton by his students. So, same idea. The government just gave money, like, okay, you can research whatever you're interested in. Whereas, if you do research in the U.S., you find you find money from sponsors. Let's say you find from Google. Uh, Google funds your research, but Google says, hey, here's my money, but make sure you improve my recommendation engine. So, you're kind of forced to do that.
1: It creates a trickle-down effect, right? Like, you... Uh, as government invests in research and development of these technologies, you know you come up with these breakthroughs and that gets the world's attention. And then now that attracts people who want to learn from the best researchers, uh, which then attracts companies who are looking for this talent. And so that's, I think, partly why it's helped so much uh, for Canada in particular. The fact that so many, uh, even like the students from these researchers, the early students, like the the PhDs the postdocs that were working with these students, uh, with these uh, researchers, they learn a lot from them, and then and, uh, and early enough that you know everybody wanted to work with these guys, right? So that's that's one of the things. I just wanted to kind of jump back before you mentioned, you know, how should companies start thinking about this? If you look at maybe just based on the directive, right? If it's a company that is trying to sell to government, uh, there's going to be a lot more barriers to, I guess, to selling. Because Think about the bidding process for a government contract. Let's say I'm a software vendor and I want to sell an automated decision system to the government of Canada. Whereas before, I just said, "Okay, here's my software. It'll do these things. It'll work." Now you have to say, "Well, if your software it's an automated decision system, well, now you're going to have to go through some of these other checks. You're going to make sure that you're testing your data. You're going to make sure that you're basically following the directive. And the directive is already live, right? It's it's live as of April." 2009 so just last month and companies are going to have to comply by next year april right or otherwise they can't uh, the government won't be able to procure their services and so from a company's perspective now they need more people to maybe either build these features make sure that they're adding more people to do tests and quality assurance but maybe their legal teams have to now be involved as well into in in making sure that they are actually following the directive right and so so it's interesting because it, it kind of creates more jobs, in a way, as in it creates opportunities. It, it also results in software that it's that it's higher quality, more robust, l- less biased. And and it's, it's just an interesting first step to take, too. If this works, and if it works well in, in a way that doesn't hinder productivity or innovation around this field, then it's logical that the government would think about, OK, maybe we need to start doing this not just for the software that we buy, but for software that businesses buy from other businesses, if this model works, this is where I see it going. So, so I think a lot of people are going to be watching how this is going to work out. And not just companies selling to government. I think it's going to be different countries are going to be looking at the effectiveness of how this is executed within Canada. A lot of c- countries are looking at Canada as a thought leader, not just in the research field, but also in the regulatory field, in the legal field, around automated decision systems. So, you know, I I think there's eyes on on us right now. And so, you know, we better do this right, right? I think this is a source of competitive advantage for the long term for Canada. So it's something that we can mess up.
0: (laughs) And we've taken, I mean, we were really pioneers when it it came to... um, Privacy or personal data protection, and and um, you know, with Anne Konvuki and really pioneering privacy by design, and I feel that we have an opportunity here to also pioneer, you know, maybe um, a consensually based um, uh, data approach like we we do with privacy by design, um, and bring that into a machine learning context uh, to enable these types of big data sets. And then also maybe, you know, looking toward machine learning models applied to small data sets. I mean, Canada does not have, <laughs> you know, we have a 10th, as you said, of, of the population of the U.S. And, and and not even in comparison to China. So um, will there be opportunities in the future to apply Machine learning and deep learning models to smaller data sets.
2: So one of the challenges with any machine learning is uh, collecting data, specifically collecting useful and clean data, because most of it is just noise. For example, we we're looking at the uh, at all the legal cases in Canada, and we we're trying, we we're thinking about building classifier to predict like insurance claims and the outcomes of a case, but it's such a mess. It's, I don't know how you guys record your data, but it's everywhere. We were trying to find a pattern, okay, where where is the decision, uh, the paragraph where the decision is actually made. And it could be anywhere in that text. First, everything is recorded as a PDF. Second is the decision is sometimes here, sometimes at the bottom, sometimes in the middle, sometimes it's hidden, sometimes it's missing. So it, it's hard to uh, to build anything useful with that yes, data set. T- it takes us three
0: years just to <laughs> right. learn more. Right. Yeah. So let's, not
1: even, <laughs> yeah. So let's right. not even
2: talk about volume
1: of data. Right. It's it's just the quality of the small data set that you're you're talking about. But I think I've I think I've heard of research in that direction. It's like how can we build models with a similar prediction accuracy but with smaller data sets. Uh, it is it is a direction that and like obviously it's beneficial because sometimes you just don't have enough. Data about certain conditions, for example, or certain outcomes, and so you, you, we need uh, the research field needs to move in that direction as well.
2: So one thing that we can do here to make up for the lo- uh, for lack of the volume, I'd say, is have more structured data set. So, for example, for legal cases, let's have some some framework. Okay, here's the uh, here's the case, here's the decision, and here's the description. Have them in separate paragraphs. So in the future, if scientists want to come and study that, we can easily see, okay, these are the things we can use for training. So that would help us. And that could be legal system, that could be medical system, and many more. That would that would make it a lot easier for us to keep advancing in the field of AI and building interesting models.
1: That, that's an interesting idea. So, you know, when you talk about by design right this is like saying let's design our data sets so that it's exactly. AI by design right and so it re- but it does require you know getting a lot of people to agree or or maybe just the government enforcing it saying okay well these are specified protocols or formats in which maybe we recommend you storing data so that you know it's more consistent it's more structured and so therefore we can you can build some of these these models data scientists spend a lot of time, Uh, really just making sure the data is good, like it's clean and, and, you know, it's in one place and they can do something with it. Uh, But in practice, right, if you look at companies, government, anywhere, anybody, any organization that stores data, it's not analysis by design, data storage. It's just uh, we started as a startup. We were recording emails, customer emails, and purchase orders, right? And then, oh, now we have a new product. Oh, well, let's throw in a new... Column in that data database, or let's create a new database, right? And so, if you want to do analysis now, you have to merge two databases, right? And then it just keeps going as you get more customers, you start serving more countries, you start serving, uh, creating new products, uh, new business lines. Sometimes companies have like different companies under that company, uh, and so it, it becomes really, really complicated, right? Same, I mean, same for any, basically any organization. It just kind of grows organically. But I think at some point, if AI is to deliver the value that it promises, I think maybe people got to start thinking about sort of AI by design sort of in, in, in your data sets, right? It, it's an interesting concept.
2: Another thing that uh, we can think about is because the whole idea of data-driven companies or just data-driven decisions is so new, um, we we still haven't decided whether whether we want to compromise our privacy for the quality so (laughs) yes so for example for example in many cases, in many countries you still vote with paper and it's so wasteful it takes so much time and a lot of people just don't vote because oh i have to go somewhere physically register take that piece of paper put something on it and vote it is just so so long and there are countries like estonia where everything is digital People don't, don't bother, they, uh, they file taxes digitally, they vote digitally, everything is digital. Mm-hmm. You lost your password, okay, here's your digital request, just fill up the form, five minutes, and off you go. So, but in that case, you can argue, what about the privacy? What if they can see my votes, right? So, as a, a think as people, we just have to decide whether we are willing to compromise some of our privacy for the quality of, of our lives. So um if we go back to self-driving cars, right? That was that's an interesting example. In that case, we have to compromise. So so for the for the self-driving cars, it's not so much about if self-driving cars can be can drive as good as humans. They already better than us. It's just a matter of how much better they got to be for us to trust them. Cuz right now what would be the what would be the odds if they're 1000 to 1? Are you if you run over by machine or if you run over by human like what would you rather take right and what are the chances what are the benefits that we have to see before we say okay you know what humans are very responsible let, let machines dry themselves so we have to find that level and uh, when we as a humans are comfortable trusting to machines when we are comfortable trusting with our medical data with our legal cases for example we know that if we give all our uh, prescriptions to, to AI algorithm, then those algorithms, those uh, AI agents, they can make better decisions for us. They can see what's wrong with us before we even know what's wrong with us. Or if we share the data uh, with the, uh, our medical data with the AI algorithms, uh, then yes, they can say, oh, okay, you do to this, better check this and that, you might have this. So we'll be, be more proactive. But for that, we have to compromise our privacy. Are we willing to do that? So uh, I think because it's such a new field, we're still kind of on the edge. And it's funny because we are okay giving all our private data to Google and Facebook. <laughs> but but when it comes to actual health, actual legal system, we're like, oh, no, don't touch my data.
0: I think you're absolutely so right. It comes back to the individual user and a consent-based model for sharing that data is really um, what I hope uh, the future um, encompasses, that permission-based consensual, putting the user at the center of of sharing their, their personal data.
1: Yeah, yeah that, that's an interesting concept, too. So it would, in theory, allow me to say, to so let's say I would control the data, and then any system that requires my data, I give permission to, but then I can also de-permission it if I don't want it to, and it should trickle down into their database in the sense that it would have to delete it from theirs automatically, right? I see. That's what you, you mean by having the user controlling their data. This is an interesting concept. Uh, it 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 would solve some many of these problems, really. Uh, in practice, it's really hard. How do we how do we do this? I I think the analogy to this, I think it's a little bit like Google, uh, Google, uh, Facebook. Sorry, when you can log in with Facebook. Maybe what we need is like a login with something, but then you are in control of that as I opposed think, to be. I
0: think Key came out with a new product um, in June they launched, Verified.me, which is a new app. It's for identity authentication and verification, and it's, it's exactly a great example built on blockchain, so you've got this triple blind approach to sharing um, personal information. For the purpose of validating identity, it's a very discrete use case, um, but it has like that type of a model has all kinds of uh, potential application for sharing of other data, and it, it gives the ability to, uh, for the relying party, not to have access to the data. It's an, an affirmative or a negative answer to certain a certain query. So you've got this encrypted data set the middleman doesn't have, you know, also does not have access to the data, nor do they hold it, but they're pulling from various parties. So I think that's a great model that integrates a consensual based approach. Um, And then, of course, um, we could talk a lot about, you know, perhaps tokenizing that data and, you know, marrying it with some sort of you know smart contract if you will or smart legal agreement um and then creating an ecosystem around that
1: right so just a thought on this so for this to work at scale hypothetically right uh, what we would require is that the adoption of those systems move at this speed or greater than the speed of machine learning development, right? Because if you think about machine learning, right, I need a lot of the data first. So that means I need a lot of people using these systems and moving data through these systems. So th- that's why I think, so for this to work in practice, that would have to move, like the adoption of those technologies needs to move really, really fast. So at least at the speed of ML development, but probably wow. it has to move faster. And so maybe it requires some partnership or, or some... Co-development of, of some legal framework that that makes this the way to to collect and store data, but but it it's it's gonna take time, and, and ML is not gonna wait for 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 these systems to be ready. So they just have to the onus is the owners is on 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 the developers of these systems to move really really fast, get a lot of adoption, get a lot of data enough that it's interesting for that data science to say, okay, well now there's interesting enough data, and it's private by design, and so those are sort of like the best of wow. both worlds.
0: This is there's there's so much to to continue talking about. Do you have is there something that we didn't talk about that you want to cover?
2: So uh, just one quick comment. I think uh, the uh, the government, the law, and the medicine, the in general, a slower law
0: for sure uh, <laughs> industries or the slowest. Yeah, I, I think we're the last to adopt technology and.
1: That's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. I think sometimes it just has to be. Slower, just just to watch the world, right, and and be able to. We're we're also the last to leave it behind.
2: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So there's so many regulations to adopt this or that, and uh, now we live in a world where your pizza is delivered faster than your emergency. uh, How do you say it? Ambulance. Ambulance, yeah. (laughs) Or you can get a, uh, you can get a taxi faster than you can get your prescription filled, right? So. That that's the that's the world we're living in, and that's all because of regulations, right? Okay, those are because we have to you have to go through a couple extra hoops before you can get that. But as a technology wise, we can solve all of them today. It's just a matter of okay, how do we get there? How do we get data? How do we get approvals? You Non-culture know, things. So as uh, if if we here in Canada get get access to all this technology, uh, get access to all this data, and uh, is it will be allowed to build these technologies for the good of people i think we can do something really interesting for for medicine for legal cases for healthcare and for the government in general
0: i'm really excited to follow the future of machine learning in canada and i, I hope we can you know i i hope we retain this this competitive advantage and and the government recognizes the the deep necessity of of Funding. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really optimistic. It's yeah. Yeah, no, I'm really
1: optimistic about this. Yeah, I think I think the government is thinking about the right steps. Uh, I think it just has to be a continued development with experts in the field, uh, with the right people, with the right domains, with the people that are going to be impacted by the systems. I think that's the way to go. I think Canada is thinking right about this, but we we gotta make sure that it's not constrained in the wrong places. Because like Ayazan was saying, this field is. Is different than any other field. Like this technology is different than any other technology in the sense that speed and data matter so much more to to the the progress in, in the field. So any any roadblock or any temporary slowdown of, of, of even like a few months, I think it can set us back quite a bit in comparison to maybe other countries um, in the world who are not stopping. They want to build the best systems uh, and. Sometimes at the expense of privacy or at the expense of human rights, and so, but that's that's not the Canadian way. But so we still have to find that that trade of that balance so that we can move and remain competitive, but also build the best systems that we can sell into the world.
0: Right, and John, maybe you can give us a perspective, or um, do you have any ideas about ways that we can debias machine learning systems?
2: So a couple uh, debiasing techniques that we uh, use today is first one is the dataset cleaning. So make sure you include um, all the groups of people equally represented. In some cases, it's really hard just based on the population distribution. So let's say in, I'm not sure the, the distribution of people in Canada, but let's say in the States, Asians represent only 11%. And just by randomly sampling your population, you'll get 11% of Asians, right? So if you want to make sure that your model is not biased in that regard you just bump up their weights so their so their weight is also represented in the in your data sample. Second is if you have some underrepresented groups in your uh, in your data set when you build a model you can actually build a model in a certain way that uh those uh small groups are represented properly by uh by using certain loss functions, or by giving them, again, a bit more weight, so your model is addressing their issues as well, or well, like considering them, and they're not excluded from your decision uh, of a model. So this is the second one, but that one is from the model perspective. The the third one is when you have, uh, that one specifically Natural language processing. Yes, remember. yes, remember when I was saying you can represent the the, the whole concept and the whole vocabulary in this let's say 50 dimensional space and in that space um, let's say queen and uh, women would be close king and men are going to be close in different dimensions but also it's going to be nurse closer to women and doctor is going to be closer to men so for that you can devise just by let's say you want to device based on uh, gender religion age and race and then you just find those dimensions and then remove uh, then move all the points that are biased in the neutral space so nurse is equal distance to men and women in that space so when algorithm uses that uh, state space for learning it does not learn that bias. You
0: make it sound easy <laughs> in practice i know it's, it's not, not.
2: <laughs> i wouldn't say it's that difficult
1: so, yeah, and hopefully some of the stuff that we're building helps with this, right? So so if you look at the directive and if you look in general, any company developing the systems, you're going to have additional requirements. One is now you got to test your data uh, before you put the systems in production. you got to test data for accuracy, for quality, uh, make sure that it's not biased. And then once the systems go live, you need to continuously monitor them Making sure that distributions are not shifting in the wrong way, that so that we're not impacting a certain group of people or a certain group of customers in a certain way, uh, and so testing and continuously monitoring these systems are going to become more important. And the question is, like, should all companies build these systems now, or does it make sense for you to have somebody who's who's an expert in building systems uh, and to kind of add that on to your to your products? Like, so that's the way we think about it uh, from from our company's perspective.
2: Yes, and the, uh for the for the uh serving part, right so we already covered the machine learning in the machine learning pipeline, we covered the data collection, model building, and now you deploying and serving the model. This is the way you monitor and test your data set uh, your performance of a machine learning model now in the ser- while we are serving, you can also have some bias coming up and uh, how do you devise that part? for example, Jimmy you speak Spanish. How do you translate friend to Spanish Amigo well, what Amiga?
1: <laughs> oh, you got me.
2: So, so when you translate, uh, in some languages, they are uh, gender neutral, right? Some words. So, for example, uh, in English, friend is just gender neutral. But in Spanish, it could be feminine or masculine. So, let's say you have a translator and you translate the word friend to Spanish. How are you going to translate? Amigo or amiga? By default, you don't know. Or, for example, there could be uh, uh, Google showed a very interesting example. They were translating from Turkish, and Turkish is uh, gender neutral as well. So they were saying uh, someone is a doctor, someone is a nurse. And that someone is gender neutral. But when it was translated to English, it said he is a doctor and she is a nurse. So it was gender bias, the translator, right? So how do you address that? So that part is how do you do bias during the serving? So maybe it makes sense to, in a Google, that's what they implemented actually. When they translate French to Spanish, they give you both, uh, both options, amigo and amiga. So that's the way to the bias Yeah, during it the seems survey.
0: I'm glad we started off the conversation with the definition of bias because um, how we define it really impacts this entire equation. When we start to add in different layers, that's actually a bias. Um, but maybe it's a good bias. So it's, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> as long as I think, you know, we, we need some sort of foundational principles to guide our definition of bias
1: yeah exactly yeah it's all a matter of context it's all a matter of what the system is going to be used for how it's going to be used like i said you know in your retail chain example you need to know uh profiles in a way of your customers because like are you going to buy kosher food are you gonna what what are you going to put in 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 your inventory right it really makes a difference in, in the quality of those predictions right in this case so
0: jimmy and I on. thank you so much
1: thank you thank you for having us amy this has been Strictly Legal. For more information on continuing
0: legal education at Osgood Professional Development, please visit www.osgoodpd.ca. Thank you
1: for listening.